Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, welcome back, fans, to Where Brains Meet Beauty. This is your host, Jody Katz. This week's episode is with Laszlo Moharita. He is the global director of beauty packaging at Johnson & Johnson. And um, a super cool dude who really walks us through the engineering process of packaging. And this will be really fascinating for any packaging designers and engineers or aspiring people out there. And if you missed it, tune into last week's episode with Paul Peros. He is the CEO of Forio. Thanks. Enjoy the shows. Good morning, Where Brains Meet Beauty listeners. I am joined today by Laszlo Moharita. He's the Global Director of Beauty Packaging at Johnson & Johnson. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you. Good morning. It's so cool to have you here. <laughs> Excited to be here. Um, I want to tell our listeners how we met. We were panelists together at last year's ADF PCD conference in New York. Yep. Um, Deanna, the editor of Cosmetic Design, hosted the panel and put us together. Um, and it was a super great presentation. It was really yeah, fun. It was great. Yeah. So it was, it's like you just don't know where you're going to meet the next person you're going to meet, right? I know. Which is so awesome. <laughs> it's all about networking. Um, so tell us how you're going to spend your day today. So today, um, I love to, you know, obviously talk to you about, you know, my, my, my past, where, where I grew up and, you know, how I came up to, to love packaging and love beauty. Um, and I'm just hop, hop, planning to have fun, a lot of fun, and, and just, uh, you know, spend an hour uh, just talking and, and, and see where we are. And do you have to go back to the office after this? I will have to go back to the office. I'm meeting somebody in the city uh, and then heading back. Mm-hmm. So, so your office is in New Jersey where Johnson Johnson's headquarters? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Is that the global headquarters? Uh, the global headquarters are in New Brunswick, oh, uh-huh. and I work out of their R&D facility in New Jersey. Uh-huh. Cool. So. Well, um, I'm very excited that you're here because you're our first guest that's um, an industrial engineer. We have a lot of product developers, mm-hmm. marketers, but you're a first industrial engineer, um, which is actually really good timing because we did a recent poll of our listeners and what they're craving, and they really want more behind-the-scenes people. So you're really very behind-the-scenes, right? <laughs> um, so let's start with um, your first job in beauty, which was at Lauder Companies, yeah. right? Can you tell <clears throat> us what that job was? Yeah, yeah. I started there as a, actually as an intern in their manufacturing facility in Oakland, New Jersey. That's where they used to manufacture fragrance since they, they've closed it since. Um, and I was doing just essentially industrial engineering work, manufacturing engineering work, doing conversion cost labor standards and things like that. Okay, so then, slow it down a little bit because sure. our listeners are probably mostly marketers. Okay. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> so what it means was um, we, I, my role was essentially to tell the brand and the package developers back in the city how much it would cost them to run their product on their lines. Um, you know, based on the level of automation that the lines had, number of people that you need to kind of put it all together, put the cap on the pump and, the, you know, fill the bottle and everything else. So that was my role. Um, and I very quickly realized that, you know, a lot of the people that were designing these things, that were developing these packages, have very limited experience uh, of the manufacturing end. And I thought, you know, maybe that's that's an area that I can cover because I, you know, I love doing this, but you know, I love the creative side of, of packaging as well. So, um, you know, at the time, Lauder was uh, was having like a, you know, they called it a presidential management program, um, and I applied. Um, I got in. Uh, it was like a, you know, ten people out of a hundred, uh, and I was the only man out of the whole group that that was actually there. The only engineer as well. It was all marketers, sales, PR people. 
Um, and the idea was you were working any function that you wanted. In this case, for me, it was package engineering or package development, as they called it. And uh, <clears throat> you, know, after, you know, for a period of a year, you would do that role. If you wanted to switch to any other role because you wanted to get experience somewhere else, you could do that. And in the meantime, they were giving you like presentation skill, leadership skills. So it was like a really nice management program after a year. You would get to work at their, you know, whatever function you wanted or ended up with. So I applied, I got in, uh, I started Package Developer, and I loved it. I, I stayed there. I never changed, I never switched. Um, uh, did it for a year. I was actually doing uh, Joe Malone uh, packaging, uh, you know, London-based company. Um, I kind of redid all of their boxes, set up boxes at their stores, and worked on their fragrance launch. And uh, you kind of learn. I mean, I was working obviously on their managers that were dealing with all these brands, but I loved it. I, I really loved the creative aspect of it. The, you know, I think that the manufacturing background helped quite a bit because uh, I could tell right away to designers and marketers, don't do that. Let's do it this way because this will run better on your lines. It will be you know, much better in the cost end of it. Um, so I stood at Loader for about uh, six, seven years. <clears throat> Can we um, go all the way back to sure. school? What, what were you studying in school that you got that first job? Uh, industrial engineering. So um, did you envision it being an industrial engineering job in the beauty industry? Like, did you think you were going to, like, build ships? Like, what what what, is, what goes through your head as someone who's studying that? Not really, to be honest with you. As an industrial engineer, um, you know, I, I call it more like process engineering. It, it's more around finding the most efficient way of doing any process, whatever that process may be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have industrial engineers and the airplane industry, you have industrial engineers and uh, computers, you have industrial engineers across many uh, aspects because they're concentrating on making the process much more efficient. Um, you know, my, my dad it has a background in, in beauty. Um, he's a uh, he's, uh, civil engineering <laughs> who never did civil engineering and ended up running plants uh, for different companies. And, you know, I kind of grew up since I was like six, seven years old around beauty. So and what was he doing in beauty? He was he was plant manager uh -huh. uh, for a couple of different you know he he worked for Procter and Gamble. Um, he ended up working at Estee Lauder where where he retired from as mm -hmm. well. Um, but I've been around beauty since I was seven years old. So uh, as a plant engineer, that person would be overseeing the people the whole like plant. the job you had. Everybody, okay. everybody okay. in the plant. Yeah. So he did he ever have the job that you had when you were at the plant? Uh, when he was working for Procter and Gamble, he uh, did a similar yeah. job. Uh, he was more on the floor, kind of you know managing people that right. were working on the lines. Uh -huh. Uh, but yeah, he was, he kind of grew up in a similar background. He was never, he never went to the creative side. Uh -huh. He always stayed more on the, uh, on the manufacturing side of it. Right. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I love that you, your experience is so deep in the manufacturing process because I feel like at least dealing with, uh, my own clients at the age, on the agency side, um, we're talking about you know, maybe setup boxes, mm -hmm. right? And they really have no idea what we're talking about. You know, they don't understand the language, and they definitely don't know what it's like to, to yeah. make them. Uh, so we actually started making some videos, like educational videos for our clients, and like this is how we make these. Mm -hmm. This is the process, mm -hmm. like really showing it like piece by piece, showing all the handwork of wrapping those setup boxes. Yeah, um, you know, mounting <clears throat> those beautiful papers on the setup boxes, and then we started doing some videos of actually taking them apart so people can see it in reverse. Yeah. Like this is all the stuff that's inside your box to make it look yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think everything is almost always better. Every single project is always better when a creative person, whether they're a creative marketer or their art director or whatever, is has some knowledge in the manufacturing process and has watched these things be made or yeah. die cut or whatever, anything. No, I agree with you. And, and I think, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, 
it's a powerful team when you can pair a really good designer who understands those constraints uh, with a really good, I don't want to say engineer, but somebody that has that manufacturing process who's typically an engineer. Right. So, and I think that's what I love the most about package development is that I bring that engineering aspect that this is how we do it aspect to people that are very creative and may not necessarily know how to get it done. Um, now, I like to think myself as creative, but I'm not as creative as you know a designer who grew up in the field, field is. But if you pair those two people together, you have the designer pushing for out there and then kind of the engineering bringing it back a little bit, but closer to what the designer wants to do, I think that's the best combination. Right. So um, in your career, and we'll get back to the, um, the details, yeah. um, when you've run your teams, have you like insisted that your teams get educated on all those processes? Um, typically, when, when we hire packaging uh, for packaging, and, and they can call it package developers, um, you know, there are schools out there that do package engineering, um, very limited. And typically, you know, if you, are, if you are brought up in any kind of engineering, you could essentially do packaging mm -hmm. at the end of the day. We hire a lot of material scientists, uh, mechanical engineers, a um, few industrial engineers, but mostly mechanical and, uh, you know, obviously packaging with, with packaging background. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think, I think engineering is key. Uh, but also if you know how to run a project and you know how to get from point A to point B in the fastest way, there's many people that do packaging that just learn by doing. Right. They just have that extra oomph that you know, gives them that project management skills of taking things from point A to point B. Right. Having the engineering background obviously helps uh, to do more complex things. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's really an interesting world. Well, you are a lover of education, and we'll get to that going back to school. Um, okay, so let's. Um, you were at Lauder. You went through the management program, yep. and then you landed in what? Did, what did they call that role? It was um, at the time they called it uh, assistant manager, um, and I was um, you know kind of doing Donna Karen. Uh, okay. So I was one of the engineers doing Donna Karen cosmetics or you know fragrance. Right. So for listeners who really don't know what, what you're talking about, yeah. um, that would be like working on the apple shape fragrance bottle, like that kind of thing. Yes. Um, yes. Bringing that concept to life and figuring yeah. out like what manufacturers can help us get this apple shape to look, yeah. really look like an so apple. So I was involved. Not as a main developer, but really just helping the developers mm -hmm. develop different parts of it. Uh, the launch of Black Cashmere. I don't know mm -hmm. if you remember that little egg, you know, rock pebble-shaped okay. black uh, uh -huh. fragrance. Cashmere mist. So is uh, part of your job to, like, go out into the universe and find manufacturers who can actually create this vision? So my role is, you know, a designer would essentially come with an idea on a back of a napkin right. type thing. You know, like, just, I want this. So my first role is figure out, okay, what do you really want? Uh -huh. um, and then work with suppliers, um, you know, bottle suppliers, cap suppliers, pump suppliers, um, and their engineering team um, to kind of bring that idea together. So, you know, by doing that, we start by, you know, running, running 3D, three-dimensional drawings of what it is that the, the designer wants to do. Uh, we'll do prototypes. If we feel we get to a point where it's, close enough to what they put in the back of a napkin, we'll run a 3D prototype of it to kind of make it real size, you know, something you can touch. 
Um, there will be many, many changes that come out of that uh, because they may think, oh, it's smaller than I thought. You know, 50 ml I thought was a lot bigger. It's actually too small. And, you know, you start going, okay, do you still want the 50 ml? And we'll find ways to make it bigger. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to go to 100 ml? And that way you can get the, the, the size that you're looking for. Um, and then once we get to a point where that's kind of nailed down, um, we start working with, you know, we continue to work with suppliers to kind of say, okay, how, how can we manufacture it? You know, if we want that shape out of glass or out of plastic, what's the best plastic to mold it in? What's the best way to design the mold that's going to make that specific mm -hmm. bottle? Um, how does the cap and the pump and the, and the bottle fit together? Uh, is it a tight fit? Do we need to adjust anything? We do a lot of testing as well. So that's the scientific part of, of what we do. Uh, a lot of testing to make sure that, you know, your product doesn't affect the package, that mm -hmm. the package doesn't affect the product, that, you know, when, when you grab a fragrance by the cap, that there's a specific force that's going to bring the bottle with it. And mm -hmm. it's not that your bottle is going to slide out midway as you're trying to use it and, you know, crash on the floor. Um, so a lot of detail that go into, you know, that people don't get to see or sometimes even understand, but that at the end of the day, it's part of the whole experience of how consumers actually handle and manage, you know, that product. Right, so for something like a fragrance launch where everything's customized, right, the bottle's mm -hmm. custom, the cap's custom, are the actuators custom? Sometimes. Um, how long is this process between, like, the napkin drawing and it launching? It depends on the company that you, you talk to. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, if it's fragrance and it's beauty uh, and it's the Lord of the Worlds, L'Oreal of the Worlds, I mean, I've seen fragrance launches that are out in six months from from the beginning, and typically probably a year, a year and a half. So you're planning ahead uh, a little bit. It depends on how uh, complex the design really is. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I worked on, um, you know, Elton John kind of does this yearly uh, party, uh, white tie and tiara party that he does. Um, as a fundraiser, and I got to design one of their fragrance for, you know, in a partnership with Joe Malone. Joe mm -hmm. Malone, you know, at the time, I'm going back maybe, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, um, did the fragrance for him. And that one, you know, with the, the idea, the, 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 the manufacturing process, the set-up box that went with it, because it was a custom set-up box, everything was probably done in five, six months. Mm -hmm. But that would be the fastest. Probably. That would probably be the fastest, yeah. 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 It depends what you're working with and how complex the designs mm -hmm. are. But, you know, there's a time, and this is part of what marketers and designers don't understand, is there's a, you know, it's not like you design a bottle and I call up a supplier and the next day the bottle is right. here. Right, There is a process that goes to develop all of that. They, need, they probably need the tools that are going to make that, and the tools in itself, just building them, are going to take you know, 20, 25 weeks at times. Right. Again, depends on how complex it is. So that's where that engineering working flawlessly with the designer, the marketer kind of comes into play. Yeah, I feel like we should do a like manufacturing boot camp for marketers and publicists and everyone else who gets involved in the process. <laughs> I try to do that every time I get, <laughs> every chance I get on my projects, but. <laughs> like a bus tour of manufacturing facilities and what it takes and lead times. And I don't know, I feel like I say it again and again. I feel like that's why we make these videos now. Like. Don't listen to us, just watch the video, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because we keep repeating ourselves. Um, you know, I, I guess I just have a lot of respect for the process and all the 
the people and minds and tools that go into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's because I've been I've been on press when I was very young in my career, and mm-hmm. I you know I don't know I, I went to all these behind the scenes things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think more people need to see what happens. And sometimes people don't want to listen to it, mm-hmm. but I think, and I've worked with designers that you know take an interest, learn the process, and sometimes some people might see it as. You know, they're not being creative because they understand the constraints. I really feel that a good designer is that one who who can design around the constraints yeah. and still make something beautiful. If I didn't, if we didn't have constraints on what we can create, then I'm just a fine artist and I get to be in my own studio doing whatever I want. But I think it's the constraints of like the timeline, the budget, the client needs, the whatever that make us be the most creative. Absolutely, that, I think that's our job, yep. right? To make yep. um, the best out of those constraints. Um, okay, so um, you had a great time at Lauder. How did you land at J&J? Um, I wasn't looking, to be honest with you. I was fine, and I had a good track record at Lauder. I thought I was going to be at Lauder for all my life. I love, you know, I still love Estee Lauder. Um, and, you know, one day J&J kind of called. Uh, I was already a manager at, at Lauder doing travel retail, uh, Estee Lauder travel retail. And they called me up. It probably took about a year before I actually decided to move. Um, I wasn't sure. They came with a couple of different offers that I didn't quite enjoy. Uh, but I, you know, in my mind, I'm like, listen, if, if let me see what else is out there. I mean, I love Lauder. Um, I know, you know, if if the option allows, I'll come back. Um, I love beauty. I love cosmetics. But if I'm gonna, you know, go and, and look at something different, let me at least go to a company like J and J, like Johnson and Johnson, uh, well known and you know, very good reputation, and let me try that. Um, and that's why I left. I'm, I'm like, you know, before I decide to spend my whole life in beauty, let me see what else is out there. Um, and I, that, that's how I switched to J and J. Took about a year. Uh, they, they came with different offers, different positions, different. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And it, it, I think it was more because of my love for Lauder than than uh-huh. than you know than the position itself. Uh, but then I finally said, you know what? This may be a good a good time. Uh, and I made that I made that move. So. And what was the job that you took at J and J? At J and J, I started doing. Again, it was a, it was a more on the back end. Again, trying, kind of trying my luck here. I'm like, let me see how much I really love uh, beauty and, and new product development. I, I landed in a, um, it was a, a role that they called cost improvement projects. Cost improvement. Cost improvement. Okay. It's like a value analysis. Yeah. You kind of go in there and look at everything that's on the market already and how can you make it you know, more cost efficient. So I look at the bottle, I look at the pump, I look at the actuator, the cap. You look at the process itself of making it. Right, the process, the carton, the shrink wrap, everything. everything. Right. Uh So do you really need the shrink wrap? Right. Can we take it off? Mm -hmm. Do you really need that, you know, double-sided print? Right. What if we don't print on the inside? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, one less pass through the press, so you might save some money Mm -hmm. there. Uh, you Are you know, looking things, at things like glue, like glue type, glue brand? Everything, uh-huh. everything. Anything mm-hmm. that can save any amount of money. Um, I think, you know, that that was my first realization of the difference is you're, you're dealing now with consumer product brands mm-hmm. that, you know, selling Walmart and Target and, you know, maybe not as, you know, consumer that's more cost, you know, conscious. Right. Uh, than if you're buying a $45 lipstick, for right. example, or you're expecting certain, you know, 
quality. So when you're, um, I think this is actually really fascinating, this idea of the cost analysis, because when we're talking about a company as giant as J&J, like you're looking at, how do you split up a penny, right? Like you're looking to carve as much savings as possible. So like- There's three ways, right? It's formula package conversion, as we call it. So conversion being um, the, the manufacturing cost of making it. So you dissect all of those. So when you look at the formula, I wasn't so much on the formula, uh, but you know, I was definitely a part of looking at the packaging and the mm-hmm. and the conversion cost. What are the what are the parts that kind of contribute the most to that to that cost going in? Right. Uh, and those are the parts that we try to dissect and see what else can we do to save the money. But if there's a chance to save a half a penny per product, you do it. Of course. Right. Yeah, it's it's a million, two million, three million pieces that you're running. So, you know, a penny makes a, makes a lot of right. difference. Um, so this must have been, like, pretty startling. It was startling, uh, to be honest with you. It was, you know, it, it taught me a lot. Um, it, it showed me a different way of being creative, um, you know, but, but I still, you know, I, I learned that I love being on the creative side, mm-hmm. closer to the creative side, closer to new product, new package development. Um, I didn't want to try to fix other people's mistakes <laughs> later. Did, did you find opportunity in that job? Did you find real opportunities to save costs? Yes, yes. So at the time, I, I, uh, I was working. Part of the brands that I handled was the oral care brand. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're not familiar with Reach Dental Floss, right? Uh, which is, you don't see as much out there anymore. It's still out there, but we don't see as much. Um, I worked on a project to kind of revamp the whole manufacturing process. Mm-hmm. Uh, the manufacturing process was very manual. Uh, you know, it was a, you know for the secondary packaging mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. Uh, to put the, the container in a blister with mm-hmm. a backer mm-hmm. card and the whole the whole thing. And we ma- we essentially converted the whole equipment to something that was uh, much more automated. Uh, and in the process, I think if I remember correctly, we saved about a million and a half. That's uh, dollars just by doing that. So is the process for, at a, I've never worked at a giant company like that, so is it like we'll get it to market and then we'll evaluate it and then we'll make adjustments? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, getting it to market is, is the, you know, getting it to market with a good cost breakout mm-hmm. uh, is important. You, you want to be first. Uh, but then the, the, the work that happens afterwards is just as important to kind of Let's, let's get as much profit as we can, right. uh, you know, without affecting the way that we, that we present that to the consumer. That's, right. that's the one piece that you want to keep always in the back of your mind is don't, do not affect the consumer experience. Right. So let's, um, let's talk about that because that's, um, you called yourself a juggler when we first talked, that you're sort of, you, you have that design ball, yeah. right, floating in the air. Yeah. And then you have that cost effectiveness ball, yep. and then you have like, does it really work? Is it, is it functioning the way it needs to? Right. Um, is there always an, a struggle between design and form and function and profitability, or does it sometimes just all work out just fine? No, I think uh, there's always a struggle, uh, and uh, and I think it's you know when there when it's a right struggle, it, it's it's very important that it's there that that tension is there because I think that's what makes everybody creative mm-hmm. um, when it's necessary, when, that, when, when there is a good vision, when there is a good strategy. I think the struggle is definitely necessary. Um, I think package engineers or package developers, however you want to call them, have a tough 
role in finding that perfect balance mm-hmm. uh, because they're, they're kind of like, you know, and everybody could say I'm, I'm the center of the wheel, but they, they are kind of essentially mm-hmm. the center of the wheel because they, they have to bring in the design, the marketing perspective, the finance piece of it, the manufacturing, design for manufacturing piece mm-hmm. of it, the supply chain costs, the, the quality, right? And all of these things that sometimes don't see eye to eye have to be in perfect balance for you to, to bring something to the market. So sometimes what the designer wants may not be what the finance person you know, wants to have. Um, you know, what, a, what a manufacturing site may want to run in their lines may not be what a designer wants to see either. Right. So again, you got to bring balance to all these things. And, and I think uh, you know, a packaging engineer kind of has the, the, the key to unlocking all of these things. So what would be your advice to a designer in this space? Because I could imagine, I mean, I've sat next to people like this, who they just get so frustrated that their initial vision isn't being realized, that they throw their hands in the air and they they pout and they walk away. Um, And that might have been okay 15 years ago, but I just feel like that probably doesn't work anymore. Um, That person's going to get canned if they just can't cope with with the realities of trying to run the business. Um, What advice would you give a designer who, you know, has a strong vision um, and feels that um, all these other forces are creeping in on diluting that vision? Mm -hmm. And you got to find a a, a good packaging engineer and stick to that person. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I think finding a packaging engineer that that has, that understands that design aspect, that has been in manufacturing, that understand those constraints. Um, if you can find that person and any designer, any brand, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like the secret weapon mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, and you not only find it, but listen to that person as well. Right, like really uh, partner up and collaborate. Yes, absolutely. When you said that, absolutely. it makes me think of like, I am not a performer, but if I was a singer, I need a great producer, right? Absolutely. Like I could sing and sing and sing, but if there's not a great producer working yep. on the other side of the wall, it's not going to exactly be awesome. Exactly okay, cool. So um, do you feel like you're paired up that way? Like you have your collaborative partner? Or are you Are you sort of like a one-man show at this point with all your education and toolboxes because you're part designer part engineer now yeah i I know i um i don't want to you know i i think i i don't know if there's more people out there i'm sure there are um i kind of always looked at myself you know i love doing pretty much everything when i was growing up you know i loved math just as much as i loved art just as much as i loved sports so you know i i always try to kind of tailor my career unintentionally, because I've been kind of making decisions along the way um, to kind of fulfill those those three aspects of, of, of what I like, what I love. So, I, you know, I, I went to industrial engineering pretty much because, one, and I, I'm not afraid of saying that my dad was an engineer, and two, I was born and grew up in Venezuela, South America. And you were either a doctor, an engineer, or a lawyer. And a lawyer <laughs> and a doctor, <laughs> yeah, this, those were the choices if you really wanted to have a good life. Uh-huh. A lawyer and a doctor took too long, mm-hmm. so I went for engineering. <laughs> <laughs> and then industrial engineering, why? Because industrial engineering kind of saw a little bit of every single engineering. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine myself to be an expert on just one thing. I kind of wanted to understand a little bit of everything. So, you know, in, in the four years of college, you look at electrical engineering, electronic engineering, you look at civil engineering, you look at mechanical engineering. So you look a little bit of everything, not too deep <laughs> to be an expert, but enough to understand 
how things work in general. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we're called generalists in a way, right. but you know, again, it's it's it gives you that that base uh, to understand many other processes. Um, but so that's what gave me kind of the engineering background. Um, and then as I as I was working at Loader, I made that switch over to start working with designers. Um, I, you know, they started talking about uh, fit, form, function, and I'm like, what are they talking about? I'm a squared up engineer who likes to paint. <laughs> um, so I, I immediately, you know, recognized that was a, a gap I had at that point in time, and I went back and I did a, a product design, kind of industrial design uh, program out of NYU. Um, and, you know, I was there three years, and, you know, taught me what I needed, but it made that interaction between a designer and, and myself a lot more, a lot easier. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I understood their, their constraints, I understood mine. Good partnership, let's move on. Um, and at some points, I would even make designer calls, because I'm like, there's no way they're gonna like that. Mm -hmm. You know, just send that back. I would tell this way, just send that back. You gotta look at it this way. Take out that knit line on the side of the bottle, because they're not gonna approve it. They're not gonna like. So, you know, it, it kind of helped the process a lot, you know, in my career a lot a lot more that way. So let's talk about education, because when you sure. were at Lauder, you went back for your MBA. Yes. And then you're at J&J, and you get um, another degree. Yes, product design. Okay. That's that's a product design degree that I So, um, do you think it was necessary? Like, could you have learned this stuff on the job? Could have, yeah, I probably could have, you know, learned it by now. You know, I'm mm -hmm. 40 years old probably, but <laughs> um, if you, if you want to move fast, if you want to, you know, grow in, in, in whatever, uh, you know, thing you're doing, you, you got to kind of, you know, understand what you do well, but know enough of what, what's around you to kind of, you know, make you that much more stronger in what you're doing. So, you know, at Lauder, Again, I'm in front of business marketing people that are, you know, talking about the six Ps and you know all all of these things. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Uh, and cost and finance and you know PR and, and I'm like, okay, but I'm just a packaging engineer. But I always kind of like, I just don't want to be a packaging engineer. Right. I want to understand what this whole thing is about. How does my P's fit in the you know in the overarching scheme of things? Mm -hmm. And, and that's why I went back to, to do my MBA in marketing, because mm -hmm. um, I wanted to have that, that background and understand it, uh, understand it more. And again, it just made me that much more stronger to have that business conversation. Yeah. I mean, I love that you did that. I'm like laughing to myself a little bit because when I was a lot younger, I realized, oh, I want to be a creative in an advertising agency. Like, I want to be a copywriter. And I had zero will to go back to school to do that. Like, there was not an ounce of me that was going to mm -hmm. either spend the money or take the time to do it. But, of course, it would have accelerated my path, right? Like, yep. if I just went, I don't know, I probably could have gone for a year, right, built a book, created a book and put it out there and gotten the job. Um, but I resisted it for whatever reasons um, and had to find, like, you know, kind of a, a loopy way into mm -hmm. getting that mm -hmm. um, job many years later. So I could I could have just followed your lead, but I didn't know you then. Um, so I had to slowly figure it out. But I love that you just said, like, you know, if you want if you wanted to do it and do it now, you're going to just go to school and learn it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll try to figure out the easiest way to to get that, right. that you know, whether it was going to school or whether it's changing the role to do something that you know pushes you in a way that's gonna teach you something and you know you're gonna learn from it. 
Right. Um, so, you know, again, it's, it's like now that everything is about being entrepreneurial and, you know, understanding how to, you know, how can brands move much faster and, I'm, I'm going back to school at, as we speak. To, you do, are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a, an innovation entrepreneurial entrepreneurship uh, program out of Stanford online. How interesting. So what is the focus of that program? It, it's more around, you know, how, how brands are created, uh, the finance aspect of it, um, how you can get teams to innovate across boundaries, mm -hmm. across regions. Um, you know, I just I just learned about Series A, B funding, and all mm -hmm. of these things in in that class, the most recent class. So, it it's kind of it kind of teaches you the the basics of what you need to do to kind of be an entrepreneur, or you know have what you need to understand entrepreneurial uh, brands, entrepreneurial companies. Right. Um, so, do you think you can bring those learnings into an organization as huge and regimented as J&J? That's definitely my, my hope. I, you know, I think uh, we're, we're in a task to doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, again, I, I'm, I'm N equal one in, in a packaging engineering role, but, I, you know, I think there is one that thinks that way in every other uh, function. We can push that in that direction, absolutely. So you, you have your job, you have the school of the, the moment, which is this one right now, right? Yeah. You had the other ones, but you also have kids, right? You have a life beyond work, so like, how do you structure your day so you're doing all this? I'm not sure. <laughs> my wife helps quite a bit. My, my wife and I um, actually met in, in packaging. She's also a package developer, oh, cool. and, and she, does, she does work for a lot of entrepreneurial brands. Mm -hmm. Um, so we just, you pretty much we juggle our time. I mean, we have three kids all going, you know, two to school, eight, six, and two. So they're really tough ages because mm -hmm. they all need you. Uh, but between both of us, we just kind of balance it out. Mm -hmm. So the days that, you know, that, that she's out in New York, I get all the kids ready in the morning, take them to their schools or, you know, their daycare and off to work. And then she leaves early to kind of pick them up. I stay late at work and then I come back, I make dinner, I set them up and then we both work, you know, yeah, after they go to bed. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, we figured out a system in my house because my husband and I, it's sort of similar. It just happens, knock on wood, I'll find some wood, that like the day <laughs> I need to be somewhere early is the day he doesn't need to be somewhere early. So it's like we, we trade off on who does breakfast, who drives us to school, or sometimes one right. of us is doing both. Um, but what's helped us so much is having um, on our iPhone calendars, we have yellow, which is a family calendar. Do you guys do this? No. Okay. no. My so, wife does all the calendar. I got to be honest, I'm not, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> so, like, you know, we both need to know you know, when there's a birthday party or whatever. So we have our yellow family calendar. So David will add me to the calendar and it automatically populates for me. So I don't ever have to guess, oh, he's going to leave early that day or he doesn't have to guess. I'm going to leave early cool. that day. Right. Idea. It's been really, really, really helpful. Instead of like leaving notes in the kitchen or, you know, writing things like yeah, in a yeah, manual yeah. calendar, having the shared family calendar on our phones has been incredible. I've been trying to get my wife to do that, but she's a, she's a manual writer type of thing. So right. we're but all that, having the these problem with book. the manual writing book is that only she has it and yeah. you don't have it. So this has really helped, um, like, so much. We don't, um, we're not stressed about, like, oh, I have to remember to tell you something or I have to remember yeah, yeah. to add it. So I recommend it. I'm willing to give Maybe she listen Yes, now. you know, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to um, put that on your phone. It's incredibly helpful for us. So, um, okay, the, the last thing I want to talk about is leadership style. So obviously you're somebody who in, you invest in your, your knowledge, right? You're investing in education. You're making a huge effort personally to, like, really um, – get rid of the silos, right, mm -hmm. that are around you. Um, 
do you expect that from your team? Like, what, what do you expect from them? I, I expect that from, from the team as well, um, to not only understand their, their packaging portion, but also understand the constraints of, you know, the products people or the manufacturing people. And, yeah, and I think, and I think everybody kind of does a good job at it. Um, you know, sometimes you find the barrier of, you know, the other person has to be receptive as well and mm -hmm. has to be willing to share. So it, it's really working with my team and the other team to kind of bring them together and see, you know, not all, not all, not all, you know, packaging is not the only thing, product is not the only right. thing. It's, you got to bring them together and that's the way that you get a product to, to, to market. Um, so obviously, in a in a big uh, corporation uh, like JNJ, silos are always present, but we gotta be able to identify them and kind of bring in, bring them together at the right times. But yeah, no, I definitely, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want, I don't like being a micromanager. I kind of, you know, like to be close enough to kind of call out, hey, you know, maybe not that way, mm -hmm. this way, far enough so that people can, you know, learn something as well. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. No problem. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Laszlo. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.